And we're live with Be Green with Amy. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Be Green with Amy. I'm Amy. After adopting a whole food plant-based lifestyle, my hubby Rick and I lost over 130 pounds. Now I coach others on their plant-based journey. Just has voice. Let's welcome our guest. Let's talk poop, gas, and gut health. Greetings and welcome, Dr. B. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. I enjoyed that intro. Your husband and, and you, that was such a transformation. Very impressive. It really was. And I'm more impressed with him and because of the rate of recidivism that, he, that since 2012, he still maintained that. And I'm really happy. When we first started, all he did was say, I don't know, want to know why, just tell me what I can have and what I can't have. Yeah. <laughs> and now I've done so many broadcasts and things that he knows why. <laughs> and we're, we're, we're rather simple. We just <laughs> tell us what we can do and what we can't do. And we'll, we'll try to observe the rules. Yeah. And he said, as long as it tastes good, I'll do it. So it didn't taste very good at first. So. Well, if people aren't used to cooking that way, it does take time to adjust, but it tastes, you know, here's the thing. What I've noticed is like, even the ones who are carnivore, they can't purely go carnivore. They have to add spices. I'm like, how dare you? Those spices are plants. How dare you? You're busted. You can't quit us, can you? Well, for those of you that are joining us today, I wanted to tell you that we are going to be talking poop and just let's say that word right now, right? So we can just get it out there and, and break through the poop barrier. <laughs> I'm truly honored that you're on because you are in the, the top people that I admire as far as the plant-based docs go. I'm humbled that you are here on the broadcast and I'm so excited for you to share the information with my green warriors because it's my goal to help spread the message of healing. If anybody is the epitome of that, it is you. Well, I'm humbled that you, that, you know, you invited me and I mean, I don't, you know, the, these things that you're describing that this is all very surreal to me. <laughs> I, I think about a car ride with my wife where we were driving from Chapel Hill, North Carolina to Asheville, which is a couple hours drive. And uh, this is when we were dating. And I remember listening to like Rich Roll podcasts with her. And this was way back in 2013. And I really, I, I was not plant-based at that time. And I really didn't have any like intention or plan that I was, had to be plant-based or was going to be plant-based. It just happened. It was the right thing for me. It was the best thing for my body. And then the science is backing it up. So it's just the whole thing is, I, I don't know how I got here. It's all crazy. <laughs> and here you are. Yeah. And I'm so very glad you're here. And we're going to be talking a about a lot of things. And if we had several days, we could maybe cover everything, but we'll try <laughs> to do our best. Okay. But one of the things that we're going to be discussing is the gut microbiome. And not everybody is familiar with it because relatively it is a, a new kind of thing that's out there. And maybe people, I'm hoping that people that are coming on today have not even heard of it and that they learned something about it. So why don't you tell us what is the gut microbiome? Yeah, this is, this is new science. This is the evolving science. This is a very exciting time. And when we think about, you know, what are sort of the transformational things that are taking place during our lifetime, this is one of them. It's our revised understanding of the human body that is no longer the human in isolation, just us, but instead this bigger view where we now see and understand that we are not alone, nor can we function properly alone, that we have 
invisible microorganisms. So it's a little bit hard for us to see this and understand it because we're visual creatures. So we like to like confirm with our own eyes. And unfortunately, we can't do that unless you pull out a microscope. But if you did pull out a microscope and you started looking, you would discover that covering yourself from the top of your head to the tip of your toes, everywhere that you look, there's microbes. There's microbes on your eyeball, <laughs> literally right now. They're in your nose, they're in your mouth, but they're most concentrated inside your colon, which is your large intestine. This is where you'll find the majority of them. In that location, there's actually 38 trillion microbes and mostly bacteria. We've like kind of given bacteria a bad rap. They're actually, these bacteria, they're there to help us. They're there to support us. Um, there's also fungi and archaea, possibly parasites. So there's all these different types of microorganisms and them in combination is what we refer to the microbiome. And you know, what we've discovered, Amy, discovered, Amy, is that these things, they're not just there. They're not just along for the ride. They're not just there to, you know, sort of live off of us. They're, they're actually completely interactive with us. Um, they're integrated into our physiology as humans. And we, we rely on them. We, we need them for proper digestion, for our metabolism, for our immune system, for our hormones, for our mood, for our brain health, for our energy levels. And so, so much that makes us humans, so much that makes us healthy comes from these microbes, which is a radical idea because they're not human, nor are they a part of our body. <laughs> yeah, it's just so amazing that technology has advanced so quickly, but even by leaps and bounds most recently, and that's probably one of the reasons why we didn't know about this not too long ago. It's just like discovering that we don't have as many planets as we thought. <laughs> yeah, we yeah we didn't have the technology up until until about fifteen years ago, and um, the reason why is because what we were using up to that point was basically the culture plate, and you know the, like the petri dish. It's a very old fashioned thing, very out, outdated, and it, it actually is not capable of growing the microbes that live inside of us. And so that was the inherent issue is like, you can't really quantify or measure them unless you have some sort of new technology. And that's what happened. We had a technology breakthrough in 2005, 2006 that allowed us for the first time to be able to take a look and see this. Okay, well, we like to play a game called True or False and we're gonna do that right now. It's time for True or False on Be Green with Amy Live. Answer true or false to Amy's questions in the comments below. And Amy will ask our guest for the expert answer. Okay, so we're going to start with our first question, and that is true or false. On the entire planet of almost 8 billion people, there are no two people who have the exact same gut microbiome, even identical twins. Okay, guys, type in true or false, and Dr. B, tell us the answer. Okay, the answer is true. There are no two people that are exactly the same. And if you look at identical twins, you know, they have the same genetic code, literally the same genes. They come from the same mom. And in most cases, they're raised in the same home. And yet they only share about 35% of the same microbes. And the rest of us, even with your siblings, you share less than that. So, um, we are quite unique, and this is a big part of why we have unique needs, unique dietary preferences and taste buds, and why our biology may be a little bit different 
um, from one person to another. It's just so amazing. It really is. We've talked about the gut microbiome and how it can be so diverse amongst people. I think I've even heard you talk about how you can tell a lot about somebody's gut microbiome can do as far as the ability to defend off diseases. So is there any research you wanted to share about that? You know, this is this is an evolving area and evolving target for research. Where we have been, Amy, in the very beginning, you know, imagine that you discover a thousand new species of animals and you're trying to like pick apart the complexity of like, oh my gosh, look, there's a thousand new species of animals. What do they do? How do they work? What does that one do? What does this one do? That's where we've been. And it's mostly been sort of a description of what we're seeing for the last 15 years since we developed this new technology. But we're starting to move into a phase of manipulation. And this is an exciting thing. We're just touching the tip of the iceberg. But basically what this means is that we know that the gut microbes are relevant to our digestion, our metabolism, our immune system, our hormones, our mood, our brain health. We know they're relevant. But how do you get them to do what you want them to do, right? And that's the comp the complicated part. We're starting to move into this. You know, we're um we're seeing this in cancer research. We're seeing this in metabolism research. I'm actually involved in some metabolism research with a company called Zoe, and um, I'm their U.S. medical director. And basically what we're discovering is that we can take people and by looking at their microbiome, we can understand what foods work best for their personal biology. And if you know what foods work best for your personal biology, then it's less about restriction or avoiding food or like calorie deficits. And it starts becoming about just making choices that are aligned with your biology. And when you match your food choices to what your gut microbiome does best, you bring out the best in yourself. So that's kind of a cool, radical and exciting concept that is happening right now. And I'm a part of it. That is exciting. We have another true or false question now that you're talking about that. So true or false, green warriors, cancer cells have their own microbiome. True or false? What do you think, Dr. B? This one is true. It's shocking to me, at least. I don't know how other people feel about this, but you know, I thought the microbiome was just like this concentrated thing inside your colon. I didn't think that, you know, to me, uh, cancer, like a tumor, for example, is, a, is just a bunch of cells. They may be growing out of control, but it's just a bunch of cells. Why would they have a microbiome? But they do. <laughs> this is what we're finding. Cancer has its own microbiome. And they're in, in fact, they're discovering that there are certain characteristics of the tumor microbiome, not your microbiome, but the tumor microbiome that may explain your response to therapy, like chemotherapy. So this is like, you know, stay tuned type of stuff, because we're just touching the tip of the iceberg on this one. So the implications about this, when you think that maybe things that you thought weren't in your control could possibly be in your control. And cancer is just one of those things that it's kind of luck of the draw. It feels like somebody just gets it and somebody doesn't get it. And it's it's very sad to see when somebody does. So are you saying that we, well, of course, you're going to be involved in developing things that will go further than this. But are you saying that in the meantime, while we're waiting for all of this research and development, that we could possibly have some control over potentially preventing or maybe even helping to heal cancer through what we eat and don't eat? I certainly am. I certainly am suggesting that. Now, I think just to position it the way that I would 
would like to position it. You know, I don't I don't want people who develop cancer to feel as if somehow they are guilty and they've like inflicted this upon themselves or they're somehow inferior. These are complex issues. And the development of medical complex medical conditions is not in isolation just what you eat. There's a lot of other factors where you live, where you grew up, you know, what how, what, how the cho choices that your parents made, your genetic code, there's so many different elements. So I, I, I certainly don't want people to feel guilty. On the flip side, I do want people to feel hopeful and optimistic because we do believe that dietary choices can impact risk. It doesn't mean reduce risk to zero. That's not what we're saying. But dietary choices can impact risk. And so as a quick example, Amy, my favorite fiber study of all time was published in The Lancet by Professor Andrew Reynolds in 2019. And in this study, they found that people who consume more dietary fiber, they're less likely to die of cancer. And specifically, they found that you were less likely to be diagnosed with three types of cancer. Breast cancer, that's the number one threat to women. Colon cancer, this is the number two cause of cancer death in America. And esophageal cancer, this is a cancer that has increased tenfold in the last 40 years. Dietary fiber is just one example where if we increase our dietary fiber, we can reduce our risk. I'm not saying reduce it to zero. I'm just saying we can reduce our risk. And that's that's a beauty, be beautiful and empowering thing. It's just mind-blowing to think that there are so many things that are just coming in the pipeline for us to look forward to. So what can somebody, what do you say the three top things to think about when you're eating and you're adopting a diet? We're talking here about, of course, a whole food plant-based diet. So what are the three top things that people should think about? Amy, would you like me to make this within the context of a person who's already doing a whole food plant-based diet or just for a broader audience in, in general? Maybe we should do both. Maybe we should first for the people that are new to it, that we can talk about that. And then we can talk about how the people who are, have adopted it uh, tweak it down. Well, because when the, the average American right now, you know, and this is as a matter of context for people who are familiar with my work, and you've perhaps read my books, I want you to know that like, as an author, when I write, I'm, I'm writing for specific people in mind, and I do my best to include everyone. It's really hard to do that. But at the end of the day, who I really worry about is the average American because that used to be me. You know, that was me 10 years ago. I was five or at the most 10% plant-based if you went back 10 years ago. So so my books are for these people who are not eating plants. And if, if I could talk to that person, the very first thing would be we need to increase our the consumption of our plant foods. So fruits, vegetables, whole grains, seeds, nuts, and legumes. And if I were talking to that person, that's where I would start. And we're going to reduce the processed foods. That's 60% of our diet. We're going to reduce the animal products. That's 30% of our calories. We're going to reduce that 90% and we're going to replace it with plants. That's step one. What else would I say? Step number two, my second rule is be good to yourself. Set things, set rules or expectations that you can actually meet. And so to set unrealistic goals, this is, is to create an opportunity for failure. We don't need failure. We want wins even when they're really small. Small wins are wins. So to me, set goals that are actually achievable. That's the second thing that I would say. And the third thing that I would say to this hypothetical person who is the average American and was me 10 years ago, if I could like shake myself 10 years ago and say this, eat more variety of plants. The system, the food system is not going to do it for us. Uh, the food system wants us to basically eat three plants, wheat, corn, and soy. That's it. 75% of the calories in your supermarket that come from plants come from those three. 
So we need to open it up, but it has to start with you. And the reason that this is so important is that in the American Gut Project, they discovered that the people with the healthiest guts by far were the people that were eating the most varieties of plants. It didn't matter whether you were vegan or not vegan, honestly. You could be not vegan. What mattered is were you eating more varieties of plants. So for my message to everyone is eat more varieties of plants, no matter who you are, no matter how you eat. These to me are the are the are the key messages for that person who represents me from 10 years ago. But if I'm talking to the new me who's whole food plant-based or something of that variety, predominantly plant-based, anything in that spectrum, uh, and I'm looking for ways to improve that person's life, I would still include eat more diversity, eat more variety, because I don't think that this is a message that has been really pushed within our community prior to people like myself and Alan Desmond coming along and getting out there and pounding the drum from a gut microbiome perspective and saying, it's not just plants, it's varieties of plants. We have to eat more variety. So that's the first thing that I would say. The second thing would be that you need to eat fermented food. So most people are not eating fermented food, even if they're eating a healthy diet, most people are not eating a fermented food. And I wrote Fiber Fuels, which I wrote mostly in 2019. It came out in 2020. Uh, I took a leap of faith because I saw fermented foods as these are traditional foods. They have prebiotics. They have probiotics. There's so much to like. They must be good for our gut. But I didn't have the hard evidence to really say, hey, this is undisputable now. They are good for our gut until recently. Last year, it was about a year ago, there was a study out of Stanford University. And basically what they showed in this study is that people who consumed the um, people who added fermented food to their diet in just 10 weeks, they actually had a healthier gut microbiome and less inflammation. So for the person who's whole food plant based, if you're not eating fermented food, you should be. And if you are eating fermented food, you should eat more of it. <laughs> And then the last thing I would say for this person who's whole food plant-based is if you're not sprouting, you should be. It's so good for us. Sprouts are amazing. It's like a miracle from nature. You take a seed or a legume, you activate it. You like punch in the secret code. And after you punch in the secret code, it opens up and unpacks more fiber, more protein, more vitamins, more minerals in a highly digestible, digestible form. And in many cases, there's enhanced, you know, like medicinal phytochem phytochemicals that are good for us. So uh, I'll give you a quick example, Amy. I just had lunch. For lunch, I had a Thai salad, all right, and with some curry tofu. Now, I didn't cook it. I ran out to my favorite uh, Thai restaurant. This is what I got. Thai salad with curried tofu. I brought it home and I, I put four different types of sprouts on it. Lentil sprouts, green, green peas, broccoli sprouts, and onion sprouts all went on top and it was delicious. And I feel great right now. <laughs>
Oh, wow. That sounds great. I wish I had that restaurant down the block from me. <laughs> but I just did a video recently, and I'll put a link to that, about how to sprout and how to, because some people have negative experiences when they start because they don't know the little hints that are there. It's the food that's alive, right? Everything else that we eat, I mean, we eat plants, if we're whole food plant-based, and that's great. But once we remove it from the ground or from the tree, it's not alive anymore. With sprouts, you eat them, they're still alive. If you didn't eat that portion that you were eating and instead threw them in the soil, you would get something that would grow from it because they're still alive. So I think that that's, I, I agree with you. I think that's really great. Jessie T had a question for you. Oh, she wanted to know what fermented foods do you recommend? Yeah. Hey, Jesse. So, um, we have lots of options. Now, here's here's my personal take. I, I love the fermented foods that also include dietary fiber because fiber is great for our gut microbiome. It is prebiotic. It has massive health benefits and the majority of people are not getting enough of it. Recognizing that most people, if you truly are whole food plant-based, you probably are getting enough fiber. Um, but you know, that being said, this is why I like this. So to me, that's fermented plants. So that would include, you know, for example, sauerkraut, kimchi, um, fermented pickles. You could ferment vegetable sticks. Um, let's see what else. In my cookbook, I have fermented radishes. If you've never had them, they're incredible radishes. I don't love radishes, radishes raw. I do love radishes fermented. They're amazing. So those are sort of the classics. Uh, I like tempeh, like miso. I like a little bit of kombucha. Don't Make kombucha the backbone of your diet, though. That's the only thing. Moderation. Some people, like myself, I am SOS free. So I am I have adopted the whole food plant-based lifestyle, but I also avoid added sugar, oil, and salt. And what I'm hearing from some people that are doing what I am, that they're concerned about the salt content in some of the fermented foods. Can you talk about that if somebody is trying to avoid added salt? So some fermented foods do include salt and it is, I understand the concern that exists among people, particularly when the teaching has been that we don't want added salt. If you're living a, you know, effectively no added salt lifestyle, like if that's the way that you're living, then you are already very low on salt. And to consume in moderation, some fermented food, I'm not talking about like uh, an entire jar of sauerkraut in one sitting, if you did that, you would have diarrhea and not feel well, <laughs> right? No one in their right mind would do that. How much do we actually eat? If we're eating sauerkraut, for example, which does include salt, you're probably going to put like literally three scoops, maybe four in a small little side dish. It's a little garnish. And when we're talking about that level, I don't believe that you are causing harm in any way to your body. If anything, Again, recognizing that here we are with this evidence that's showing us that you can actually enhance your gut health by consuming these fermented foods. I just wouldn't want people to miss out on that opportunity. It's up to you. If you feel bad about it, then don't do it. But um, I personally feel that that's a very small amount of salt and not enough to get worked up about. Yeah, I agree. I, I, even though I am SOS free, I do allow for a very small amount of added salt when I make sure that it doesn't go too high. So... 
I read labels if I'm going to get a salsa and I make sure that it doesn't have too many milligrams per tablespoon. So I think that, that that's a good compromise. And also because I think what you're saying is true, that the fermented foods, it's so important to include that. And one of the things you were talking about also was the sprouting and we can sprout beans too. So here's another true or false. True or false, Scream Warriors, lectins cause injury to our guts. True or false. I think that this is probably a favorite question for all the gastroenterologists that are plant-based. <laughs> what do you say, Dr. V? Yeah, well, the answer is false from my perspective. Um, now, let, let me first acknowledge like where this sort of lectin idea came from before it was popularized in some books in recent years. If you eat raw beans, and by raw... I, like, I mean, uncooked. I don't know anyone in their right mind who would try to eat beans without cooking them. Who in their right mind would possibly do this? I like my teeth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you knock your teeth out, right? And for nothing, like there's no reward or benefit there. But there are two reports, like literally in the history of the planet, okay? There are two reports uh, where people ate like either raw or uncooked beans or uncooked, like inadequately cooked beans. And they got sick. Now, like when they got sick, did anyone die? No. Did anyone have serious health issues as a result of this? No. Did anyone have long-term effects? No. Uh, if people were hospitalized, what happened? Well, they were observed overnight and then they went home the next day. Right? There are a lot of things that we come into contact all the time that are far more dangerous and scary than this. If you hop into a car and you drive somewhere, then you are exposed to way more risk than this. Um, so, but that's where the whole like sort of lectin uh, uh, pseudoscience took off is from that place. And it's nonsense. There's no evidence that eating beans, which are the highest lectin containing foods or eating whole grains, that that actually causes harm and injury to your gut microbiome. If anything, the fiber, the resistant starches and the polyphenols in these foods are actually elevating your gut health, elevating it. Yeah, I agree. And I'm a fan of Dr. Furman. So he has something called G-bombs that he tells you to include every day and bees for beans. And I've been doing it since 2012 and I've not had any problem with the beans. I like Furman too. I like Furman and I like G-bombs. So Anne has a question for you. So does Zoe help you slowly phase into things like beans, fermented spicy stuff, even though they make me really ill and make me run to the bathroom? Thanks. Yep. So Anne, good, it's a good question. Zoe involves the microbiome, but the microbiome is a multifaceted thing and it's involved in specific parts of our body. Yes, the microbiome is involved in digestion, but also the microbiome is involved in our metabolism. And with Zoe, we're specifically focusing on the role that the microbiome plays in our metabolism. We're not focusing on the role that the microbiome plays in your digestion. So if you have a specific question like a food intolerance, then doing Zoe is not actually going to address or fix that issue for you because that's not what we were designed to do. What we were designed to do is to help people optimize their metabolism, which basically means like, what are metabolic issues? Blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes, heart disease, uh, unwanted weight gain, 
things like this. Well, this is what we're designed to help people get more in alignment. Okay, thank you for that. And speaking of fiber, we have another true or false. So Green Warriors, what do you think? True or false, a person can consume too much dietary fiber. Hmm. What do you say, Dr. B? True. And, you know, naturally as a person who's written two best-selling books about fiber, I, I want to get out there and help people eat more fiber. But an important part of that mission from my perspective is being honest about it, which is that there are some people who suffer and struggle when they do this. And I've seen them as a gastroenterologist. And this is why I wrote the Fiber Fields Cookbook, to be completely honest with you, Amy, is that, you know, I know that people are motivated to eat plants. And yet some people will struggle to eat more fiber. So like, what is the right amount of fiber? It's not a number that like I just make up. Um, the right amount of fiber is the right amount for you specifically. So there's a certain amount that your body is capable of consuming. And there's a certain amount that would be taking it too far for all of us. So I, I'm pretty sure that I can eat a lot of fiber these days, but I'm sure that there's still an amount that if I went way too far, it would not be good for me. So the, the bottom line is that, yes, there is such a thing as too much fiber. We want to allow our body to adapt to what we're eating. And this is why slowly making dietary changes makes a lot of sense. There's can be too much of any good thing, right? I mean, you could, you could drink too much water and have problems. So exactly. yeah, I think that's great. But people don't have to really count how many grams of fiber they're eating if they're eating the whole food plant-based diet, right? No, not at all. I actually, I actually don't even think, even if you're not eating a whole food plant-based diet, I don't actually think that the best choice is to count grams of fiber um, because the focus should not be getting grams of fiber. The focus should be getting varieties of plants for all of us, no matter what perspective you're coming from. You know, we all need to eat more varieties of plants. And if you focus on that number, like how many varieties of plants are you eating? If you focus on that, I'm, I can assure you, if you're eating a lot of varieties of plants, unless you are trying to prove me wrong, if you are actively trying to prove me wrong, you can probably pull it off where you would not get an adequate number of grams of fiber. But if you're a normal human being who's just eating a wide variety of plants, you will get adequate amounts of fiber. Okay, very good. Jenna wants to know, do you do juicing? And if so, what type of juicer do you use? And what do you put in your juice? So we're talking about fiber, but now we're talking about juicing. So what do you say about that? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a nuanced answer. I don't like saying being absolute, like, oh, this is horrible. And this is a dumb idea or something like that. I, I prefer to actually just kind of place things in their proper spot. And so that people can understand. If you give me a choice between smoothies and juices, I would take smoothies. And the reason why is because you're not throwing away the fiber with the smoothie. And we live in a world where 95% of people are fiber deficient. And so we need, we need more fiber. So let's not make that mistake of throwing away the fiber. Now, flip side, can, can juices be a healthy part of a whole food plant-based diet? Absolutely. If you are consuming tons of plants and you want to include some juice, I don't think that that's wrong. Um, what I will do kind of depends on the mood that I'm in, but like a simple juice that I like sometimes is I will do beets, carrots, ginger, and some lemon. Okay. And like, that's a pretty delicious juice from my perspective. I use a, um, what's called a masticating juicer. And the masticating juicer basically means that it's going to grind or pulverize the plant to extract the juice. 
And that's different than the spinning juicers where the spinning juicers, they just like basically buzz it real fast. But the problem is when they buzz it, they actually create heat and the heat affects the quality of the juice. So that's where the masticating juicers for home use are, are typically a better choice. Now, by the way, like as I talk about this, I literally consume juice probably once a month, maybe twice at the most. So it's not a common thing. I'm not doing this on a daily basis. How often do I have smoothies? Probably four or five times a week. Okay. I have a smoothie for my breakfast every day. So that's what I enjoy. Or, or Dr. Furman called them a blended salad. <laughs> homogenized. He likes to call it a homogenized salad. Homogenized. That's right. <laughs> Pilar wants to know, consuming fiber can cause intestinal obstructions. Okay, so th there's a couple aspects to this. Um, generally, it should not. Generally, it should not. If you have Crohn's disease or you had some sort of complex digestive tract surgery where they're like literally, you know, um, rearranging or cutting and reconnecting intestines. The point is that in order to get an intestinal obstruction from fiber, you would need to have some sort of what we call stricture, which means a narrowing. And the most common cause of that would be Crohn's disease. Um, that doesn't mean that people have Crohn's disease should not eat fiber. They need to be smart about the way that they eat fiber. And so that's the issue. So like uh, leafy green salad for someone that has a stricture could be problematic. But if you took that exact same leafy green salad, and you put it in the blender, I can assure you there is no problem because you're breaking down the, the roughage into small, small pieces. So the, I think the point from my perspective is that generally the answer should be no, but there are some people, like I don't know if this person, uh, Power uh, Pilar, has um, Crohn's disease. And if they do, you have to talk to your doctor about that. Well, I'm going to talk to this doctor about Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. If you could talk a little bit about that, what do we know about it and what can we do about it? Yeah, so Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, these are part of a family of medical conditions that we call inflammatory bowel diseases. They're almost like cousins. Like there's some similarities, but they're not the same, but there's some similarities. And in both cases, it is your, your own immune system that is reacting and responding in a negative way. But in this case, we actually would not, it's, this is a little bit weird, Amy, but we wouldn't call it autoimmune. It's a technicality, but we wouldn't call it autoimmune because your immune system is not attacking your own body. In this case, what your immune system is attacking is your microbiome. So the problem is in the microbiome. There's something about your microbiome that has activated and set off the immune system and it's going on the attack. And we need to cool that off. And so in my experience, how do I approach these issues? People that have these conditions like Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. Generally, my approach is this. I will first use medication to put their disease into remission. When the disease is in remission, they still have a damaged microbiome, but it's ready to be healed. If their disease is not in remission, remission means that it's not active. If their disease is active, that's like having a burning forest fire. 
you wouldn't plant trees in the middle of a forest fire. That doesn't make sense because those trees would burn too. You would put out the fire and then you would plant the trees. So that's the approach that I take. I put out the fire. I use medication where necessary to do that. Then I plant the trees. What that means is that is a moving towards a plant-based diet to get the fiber that their body needs to heal. And that takes time. It could take over a year to do that. I'm glad you said that because oftentimes people hear so many wonderful things about this plant-based lifestyle. And I think it is wonderful. And I think it does help a lot of people. But we just all want that quick fix. And we expect that if we do a cleanse, you know, or or, or we do it for a week, that all of a sudden everything is going to be great. And for some people, it gets worse. Right. So do yeah. you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, I, I think that a proper understanding of what is happening with your body and what the solution is and how that solution works is what ultimately allows you to navigate these sort of complex health related issues and get the results that you're looking for. It's not easy. Problem is that when you want a quick fix, you're looking at something like, oh, I'm going to do a four week thing. Well, what if I'm telling you that it's literally impossible to fully heal this in four weeks using diet alone? I, I don't believe that it's possible to do that in, in most cases. And so the, the point I think is that we need to um, properly educate people so that they can have a full understanding of what their medical condition is, why they would choose a plant-based diet, and then how to navigate sort of some of the issues that exist within a plant-based diet, not because the plant-based diet is inherently problematic or challenging, but instead more so because um, any diet, when you have a complex health-related issue, can be challenging and need, you need to know how to properly navigate it. Very good. And hopefully you're doing something with the help of your physician, especially if you are on prescription medications, especially if you are on any medicines for diabetes or high blood pressure. Right, Dr. B? Absolutely. Yeah, no, if, I think that it's important to have a team. And, you know, the way that I see it, this is the way that I feel about it. Um, I don't think it makes sense for us to ignore the power of diet and lifestyle for our health. And unfortunately, that's what our current healthcare system does. It largely ignores the power of diet and lifestyle for our health. Okay, I think that's wrong. Now, I am a Western trained allopathic doctor. I don't you know, I believe in the work that I've done throughout my career. Um, so, but I don't think that that's right. I think our healthcare system, it's a flaw and that needs to be addressed. But on the flip side, that doesn't mean that we should outwardly reject 21st century healthcare. 21st century healthcare has made radical advances. There's a reason that the average person can live to be 78 years old when a hundred years ago, the average life expectancy was like 48. So, you know, we, we need to, um, I think, bring in the best of both worlds. And what that means to me is plants first, diet and lifestyle first, let that lead, allow that to take it as far as you can possibly take it. But then you, you shouldn't feel bad about like having a doctor and having a healthcare team and receiving healthcare that you need. This is how we get the best results, combining both, take the best of both. Very good. I like that. So Anne wants to know, how does a person deal with food sensitivities so they can eat a plant-based diet? And before you answer that, I wanted to sneak in another true or false that kind of has something to do with this. All right. and, and that's true or false. Food intolerance tests help you figure out what to eat. 
So Green Warriors, answer that. And then somehow Dr. B is going to answer both of those questions. Yeah. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Dr. B. Okay, so food intolerance testing that's available these days, I don't recommend it because it's not accurate. So if it's not accurate, it just creates confusion. Then you don't even know what to eat, right? The only way for it to work is if it actually is accurate. And we're not there yet. Um, maybe one day we will be, but we're not right now. So how do we navigate this? It doesn't mean that we're helpless. We're certainly not helpless. But this is actually, Amy, this is why I wrote my new book, The Fiberfield Cookbook. The Fiberfield Cookbook is designed to show people how to navigate food sensitivities or food intolerances. And it has a step-by-step -step protocol that you follow. It's called the growth strategy, G-R-O-W-T-H. And if you follow these letters, it's kind of like Dr. Furman's G-bombs, but this is actually the step-by-step -step method that you would use to fix food sensitivities or food intolerances. If you follow these steps, you ultimately will eventually get to where you need to be. You can heal. It is possible. Um, it is possible to bring these foods back into your diet. You just need the proper methodology in order to make it possible. In order, to, in order to know how to do it. Excellent. So did you want to talk to anything specifically as far as what Anne had asked? So how do we do it? Well, the first letter in growth, the growth strategy is G for Genesis. Genesis is, it basically means like, what is the root cause of your issue? So before we start trying to create a plan, we should first create an understanding of what the problem is. The plan will be a lot more refined and more accurate and targeted when you actually know exactly what you're treating and what you're trying to fix. So start with that. So the first thing is you have to understand the root of your issues. The second thing is to understand what are the foods that cause trouble for you. So that's where ROW, these three letters from the growth strategy, they come together into one. Restrict, observe, work it back in. And if you follow this method, restrict, observe, work it back in, this is essentially a temporary elimination diet. It allows you to identify which foods cause trouble. So like, don't trust the food intolerance test. Trust this. How does your body actually respond to the food? That's the question. And once you know which foods you're trying to fix, you can then move into T, train your gut. And um, your gut is adaptable. It can be shaped. It can um, become stronger and you can restore function to it. And the way that we do that is by treating it the same way that you would treat any other muscle in the body. So like if we go to the gym, you want to grow stronger, you lift weight, but you don't lift the heaviest weight in the gym. You start with the amount of weight that you're actually able to drink to, to actually actually able to lift. And that's good work. And you will become stronger. And then you come back in a couple of days and you do it again, maybe with a little bit more weight. That's how we ultimately ratchet up our health. Our gut works the same way. If you were to eat beans and you eat a certain amount that is like tailored to how much your body can tolerate, start there and then you can increase it over time. Um, so I like to say start low and go slow. And the last letter is H. H stands for holistic healing. It's perhaps my favorite letter in the whole acronym. And the reason why is because I just want to remind people you're not just a digestive system. You're not just a gut microbiome. You are a complete person and that complete person is um, complex and completely integrated with the rest of your body, also completely integrated with your environment. So basically what I'm saying is that like 
how you feel, how you live, what your mood is, these things can affect your gut health. So gut health is not just food. Gut health can be a lot of other things too. So for Anne, you know, how do you deal with this? The point is we want to first understand what the problem is, understand which foods we need to fix, train our gut with those foods and take care of you as a complete person. Because when you're doing well and you are thriving, guess what? So probes. Yes, there are so many components and you're right. And I think most people have experienced something where maybe if they were got stressed or frightened about something that they would feel some kind of feeling in their gut. And, and I think that there's definitely a relationship there. Rochelle wants to know, is there a relationship between proton pump inhibitors, which I've been on for a while, and osteoporosis? My doctor said 80% increase. My gastro doctor said low risk. I stopped taking them. <laughs> so the answer, Rochelle, is that in a perfect world, this is not just a proton pump inhibitor question. Um, to me, there's more to it than just that. In a perfect world, we want to minimize and reduce medicine as much as possible. Reduce our reliance on medications. This is not to vilify them and make them sound like, oh, you should never be on medication. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, what I'm saying is... Okay, I think Dr. B is frozen up for a little while, so he's going to come back and he may, he may sign off and come back on if we don't get him unfrozen. And in the meanwhile, Green Warriors, please post your questions because we have a lot of them coming in and we would love to hear from you and post questions to Dr. B. And if any of you have had any experience with a whole food plant-based diet, let us know. Do you like the lifestyle or are you curious about it and you want to try it? And also I wanted to talk about anybody have any kinds of issues as far as digestion or, and we didn't even talk, and we're going to talk about that too, but we didn't even talk about mood. Dr. B talked about in the beginning, he talked about how sometimes your gut microbiome, what you eat and so forth can affect your mood. And so if any if you are suffering with depression or anxiety, there may be some questions that you have about that that can also be helpful as far as what we can do to address it by perhaps looking at this whole food plant-based lifestyle. And I also wanted to see if, if you, let's just ask everybody that is watching, say yes or no, if you have already adopted a plant-based lifestyle. I want to just take a little vote here and see how many people have, and we have different people chiming in from different Facebook and from YouTube and Twitter and all around. So let's just see. I see Jane says yes. She's adopted one. Jesse, uh, Jesse T said yes. So we have another person that does. Deborah, Deborah, you have adopted plant-based lifestyle. That's great. And Rochelle, oh, see Rochelle, she's been on it for a while because she says WFP. And that means whole food, plant-based and no oil. Yeah, I'm no oil as well, Rochelle. So if there's anybody else that wants to vote in because we have a lot of people that are watching. Jesse T said, curious to hear what everyone's go-to meal is. SOS free. SOS free means sugar, oil, and salt. So perhaps if you guys want to chime in and say what you like, if it, and if it is SOS free, you can tell us about that. And Anne said to my question, I try... But sometimes I get sick with the extra fiber, et cetera. Yeah, I, and as Dr. B was talking about, which I, I love his phrase, go low and slow. And I've had other gastroenterologists on who have promoted the whole food plant-based lifestyle. They all seem to have the same 
thing that they they talk about going low and slow. There are people that, and now I'm not a physician, so I'm not giving out medical advice, but there are people that sometimes ha- struggle with the fiber. And of course, as Dr. B said, if you have Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, that, that might be something that you might want to consult with a physician. But if you don't have those issues, sometimes it is just a matter of, I can't have beans. Well, can you have one bean and chewed very well? And for some people, soaking the beans before you cook them helps to soften the outside layer of the bean. If you've noticed that a lot of beans, when you eat them, you after they're cooked, you may feel like there's a skin that's on that outside. And the skin is a little bit more fibrous, and so it requires a little more work from your digestive system to digest. I know somebody that actually cooks chickpeas, and then one by one, she gently squeezes them and pops the skin off before she eats them. So that's something that I would, if I was struggling with something like beans, I would cook maybe chickpeas and just take one bean, I'd remove the skin after, of course, I would soak it first and then cook it. Then I would remove the skin and then I would just chew it to a cream. And and all of our food, I think a lot of us don't chew our food. So if you chew your food to a cream and so it's totally liquefied before you swallow, and that's really difficult in this fast-paced world when you're in a hurry to eat and get everything. Some people just stand over the kitchen sink and eat, and that can't be good for you either. So sit down, do an intentional eating, chew, chew, chew your food to a cream, put the fork down in between each bite, swallow, and just try to relax in between bites. Sometimes I'm so hungry that I just want to keep shoveling the food. (laughs) But if you just do it that way, that can also help a lot. Let's see, we have some other comments. Oh, so yeah, Rochelle said that she's SOS free and she, her meal that she likes is a black bean chili, brown rice, and Japanese sweet potato with cilantro. Whoa, I love those Japanese sweet potatoes. They are delicious. That sounds great. And oh, Jesse T said, ooh, got to get that recipe from Rochelle. That sounds really good. Oh, well, Rochelle said two cans of black beans, one jar of salsa, one half cup of veggie broth, a tablespoon of cumin, and she cooks it for 30 minutes. Wow, that's so easy. That is so great. Oh, I love that. Anne said, only one bean per meal. Love it. Just order the cookbook. Oh, it is fabulous. Dr. B, you know, and it's not just a cookbook that he wrote. Of course, he wrote two books, Fiber Fueled and then the Fiber Fueled Cookbook. But even in the Fiber Fueled Cookbook, he does have recipes in there, but he still gives you a lot of great information as far as your gut microbiome and your health and how to incorporate these foods into your lifestyle. So it's it's an excellent book and I highly recommend it as far as what that has. Yeah. So if, and if you go ahead and like I said, don't take this as medical advice from me, but if it works for you, you could try that. Go ahead. Cause I don't know your specific condition. So I don't want to tell you specifically, but in general, take the skin off, eat one, chew it very, very slowly and see what happens. And then maybe just one a day even. And then if that works out okay for you, then after a week, have two a day and just kind of keep on increasing it like that and you'll be fine. Deborah said, lately my main meal is a huge salad. You know, Deborah, I eat a big, a 
big salad every day. I eat a salad that is so big that probably people would say, are you going to eat all that? And that's, that's how I know I'm doing the right thing. And it probably would feed an average person that's not plant-based, probably about, you know, a family and they probably would still leave some left over. But yes, I have a huge salad every day. And sometimes if I had that for dinner, sometimes after I eat that salad, because it's so big, I don't even want to eat anything else. And I've done some YouTube videos that I'll put some links to, to show you what I put in my huge salad. And I'll tell you a little bit about it because people say, well, how do you eat a big salad? One of the things that I like to do is I like to cut up my greens. I like to chop them up very fine. If you ever came to my house and saw me eat my salad, you know I eat my salad with a spoon because I cut up everything so fine and so small that I can just eat it with a spoon and I don't need a fork. And when I do that, it's kind of already pre-chewed because eating a big salad can be a lot of work. Like I said, for you, I recommend, and I try to do this too, to chew your food to a cream. And so when you do that, it can be really tough, especially if it isn't cut up small. What I even have something, and it's a mini food processor. Some people have one that it, they don't plug it in and they just pull the string and it kind of whirs things around. Mine is electric and I just push down on the pulse button and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And you can also see how I do it in my salad making video. But what I like to do is I'll take maybe some fennel and I'll take some radishes and I'll take different kinds of things that onions, different kinds of things that maybe root vegetables that would be carrots that would be hard to kind of chop up small. And I just put them inside of this food processor this mini food processor, and it comes out kind of like chopped so finely that you could sprinkle it on your salad. So, I, and that's what I do. And this way, by chopping up the food, I'm getting a lot, a lot, a lot of vegetables. I also, I have another video where I batch cook mushrooms and because mushrooms is, they're very important to including your diet. And so what I do is I do put some cooked mushrooms, they're cold, but you could put them on warm if you wanted to. I put those on my salad and also beans because beans are very important to include. And it looks like we may not have a chance to get Dr. B back, but maybe he may come back on a later broadcast. He may have had some storms in his area or some internet connection issues. But I do encourage you to check out his books. And I put links to those in the show notes as well. And typically what I do when I end the broadcast is I ask for my guest to sign off with me by saying my tagline, which is be strong, be well, and be green. And I usually invite the audience to do the same. But I do want to thank Dr. B, if you can hear me. Thank you for being on the broadcast. I hope you can come back soon. And I wanted to thank Just Tess Voice because she did the voiceover and the promo. Hey, Just Tess Voice, tell us who's coming up next. Think you can't do yoga without turning into a pretzel? Unwind with Be Green with Amy as Angela Fischetti leads a lower body yoga workout. Beginner to advance are welcome. Join us Wednesday, June 29th, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Be Green with Amy Live. Well, thanks most of all to all of you that tuned in and watched and that stayed with me, even though we lost Dr. B. I think that we're growing a really wonderful community of plant-based warriors. And I'm so glad that you're here with me today. And please, if you would join me and type in the comments my tagline, which is be strong, be well, and be green. 
And then I'm going to say it out loud with all of you. Until I see you again, remember, be strong, be well, and be green. <laughs> Bye-bye, everyone. Now you can listen to Be Green with Amy expert interviews wherever you go. Listen while walking, meal prepping, or traveling. Find Be Green with Amy on Apple, Google, Alexa, Amazon, or virtually anywhere you find podcasts. Be strong, be well, and be green with Be Green with Amy. 